the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. There we go. Now do we have it? Excellent. I love it when a plan comes together. (laughs) Sorry about that. We had our wires crossed a little bit, and I went to say good evening to you, and I heard all of a sudden a news reporter in the background, and... uh, Uh, Somebody's in there twisting the knobs again, but Joel's got it all worked out. So the ship is back on course again. Hello. Welcome to this interesting start to a Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Craig Roberts with you. Coming up later on tonight, we're going to have a report for you on uh, the California Healthy Youth Act. may not be familiar with this. was passed and signed into law by... Then Governor Jerry Brown in 2015, uh, this purports to provide sex education agenda uh, for children taught once in middle school and once in high school. Well, guess what? This expands it into elementary school and creates an agenda which requires children, although in the upper grades, to be sex or age rather appropriate. Um, That's not the case here with this particular bill or particular law, AB 329, the California Healthy Youth Act. And so it really exposes children as young as K through 6 to some pretty intense stuff. We're going to tell you more about it and key components of a new Senate bill, SB 673 that aims to correct all of this. Marlo Tucker will join us tonight in the 6 o'clock hour. She, of course, director of the California chapter of Concerned Women for America. We'll try to get all this straightened out and tell you how we need your support to make sure that Senate Bill 673 gets passed so we can correct the significant failures of AB 329. So hopefully that's, that's a plan coming up a little bit later on. I want to begin the topic tonight on this issue of children, not just sex education in public classrooms, but the responsibilities that we have as parents in training up our children, and particularly in this day and age when there has been so many years of what I will call toxic um, feminism that has really defined, redefined Uh, gender roles, and in many respects in doing so, while we would like to think that we've made great strides, even as here in 2020, we mark the 100th anniversary of women getting the vote in this country, as far as they have come, there are still significant layers of challenges that women today face. Witness, for example, what's going on in New York right now with the um, Harvey Weinstein case and the glass ceiling that exists within many layers of corporate America today. If there was ever a time that's challenging to train up 
a child, and in this case, specifically raise up a strong daughter in what is largely a very toxic culture. Well, this is certainly it. To the rescue comes a celebrated author, Dr. Meg Meeker. She's written a new book called Raising a Strong Daughter in a Toxic Culture, 11 Steps to Keep Her Happy, Healthy, and Safe. And Dr. Meeker, great to have you on the program. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Such irony that we mark and celebrate the 100th anniversary of women getting the vote, and as much as that is an outstanding accomplishment and achievement, there are so many ways in which it seems as if, maybe not politically perhaps, although perhaps there too, but certainly within our culture today, women still face an uphill battle. They do, and and in many ways they're still fighting, but there are good ways to do things and to assert oneself and to get a lot of good things done, and there are bad ways to do it. And unfortunately, I think that, you know, we're seeing the fallout of, of a lot of bad, you know, feminism, or feminism gone awry, and yet you're right. I mean, it, take the Me Too movement. I mean, I think it started with a lot of good intention. A lot of people like myself said, hooray, you know, um, we're going to stand up for women and children being abused, but it morphed. It morphed into, you know, sort of this um, uh, diffuse, insidious, uh, man-hating movement, I think. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword, really. I made reference at the top of the hour to a guest which is going to join us later on tonight to deal specifically with uh, some dangerous sex education um, oh. legislation here in, in California. In, in your viewpoint, kind of looking at that 30,000-foot-high view, is a big part of the problem here just this on steroids over-sexualization of our culture today that, that sadly is creating so many challenges that young women in particular are having to, to muddle through and, and face? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I um, am on the board of the Medical Institute for Sexual Health, and we're fighting very hard against a lot of these um, sex ed programs in, in public schools but because they're very offensive to young children and um, very harmful. I think what happened, you know, as you trace it back, we had feminism growing up in the 70s, 80s. We had the sexual revolution taking off. And I think that really what happened is the sexual revolution um, communicated to everybody, you know, sex is free, whatever you want to do. Marketers picked up on this and began selling their stuff to kids by attaching sex to them, and then it continued. And now what we're seeing is this hyper-sexualized culture, and I think it, it hits girls very hard uh, because it communicates to them, if you want to be anybody dress like this, you know, wear these kind of skimpy clothes, and you need to be sort of sexy. It's interesting. I've been doing this about 30 years, and I routinely ask teenage girls in my practice, what are the two biggest struggles you have at school or in life? And they say, one, being skinny, and then the two, second, we don't know where to land with all this sexual stuff, and the pressure to, to wear the sexy clothes and to put on a sexual persona through social media and to get together. You know, girls are just absolutely, they feel the tremendous pressure of this hypersexualized culture. And, of course, ironically, 20 years ago, and rightfully so, we blamed Hollywood and Madison Avenue, meaning the entertainment industry and advertising for all of this. 
But today, a lot of this fair falls squarely in the lap of the Internet, doesn't it? Oh, yes, very much so, because the Internet picked up on what was going on there, and it just exploded it. And now uh, what the Internet has allowed to happen is that kids can live in their own private world. You know, um, when the day where the, the phone was attached to the wall and somebody called your home, everybody knew who, knew who was calling. But now kids can take their phone and they can be on social media, they can be watching, you know, playing games or whatever, but they can communicate to people and friends and do things their parents have no idea about. And at the same time, whoever wants to get at them, advertisers, clothing companies, uh, pornography for boys in, in particular, can get at our kids. And so, you know, that's a very scary thought because we can't be in there necessarily to, um, you know, to, to stand guard for our kids and, and be the filter uh, through, for when these things come through our kids. And sadly, of course, as you point out, not just the proliferation of the Internet, but the fact that it's sort of streamlined, if you will, the ability of those that would either prey upon girls. And, and that's not just I'm not just talking about dirty old men. I'm talking about even peers and and the ability to use the Internet as a very effective tool to both pressure women and to take advantage of them. Absolutely. I mean, what happens in social media, and, you know, I wrote a whole chapter on my book on screens and social media and the effects of girls. And, of course, a lot of it's very bad, but my book is very uplifting and, like, here are the problems, but let's let's attack them because any parent can get their girls through. But social media puts a lot of pressure on girls, and girls go to social media because they're seeking approval. The more likes they get, uh, the better the, they feel about themselves. However, people can also go on social media and send things to daughters that would make parents' hair stand on end, even young kids, fifth and sixth grade kids. And so there's, there's a lot of um, nasty stuff coming towards our kids. The other thing that parents need to realize is when there's the uh, anonymity, which there can be in uh, social media, Kids can have, um, you know, accounts that are not necessarily under their name. Girls can experiment with who they want to be. Good girls can experiment with what it feels like to be the bad girl. And I think this is why a lot of these kids are sexting, if you will, back and forth. Girls are getting pressure from boys. They want to please the boys. But also, they want to try to do something they don't normally do. And this is kind of what social media screens and the Internet allows girls to do. So not only intensifying the, the temptation in a sense, but then, too, as I suggested a moment ago, the ability of the Internet to, to really amplify manipulation. For example, early on in the book, you, you talk about one case of a couple of girls that were literally manipulated into posting nude photographs of themselves the entire basis of which was, well, if they didn't do it, they would be taunted and teased for being geeks. Now, I first read that and thought, I've got to, I've got to read that again, because there must be a misprint there. And, and yet demonstrative of the idea that, no, this is the manner in which the Internet today is really being used in a, a very effective fashion to manipulate. Absolutely. And and. Uh, kids know that. I mean, savvy kids know that they can manipulate young girls, 
and they can get them to do things by pressuring them and saying, if you don't do this publicly, um, we're going to make fun of you or your friends will make fun of you. And so there's a lot of pressure, not face-to-face pressure, but social pressure coming through the Internet that um, is very, very hard for young girls. And a lot of parents say, I see a lot of great kids in my practice. Hey, you know, my daughter is a great kid. I trust her. I don't need to worry about her. You know, if you have a great daughter, in a way, those are ones you worry about because they don't want to say no to anybody. They don't want to let people down. They don't want to hurt their boyfriend's feelings. They don't want to hurt the boy in their class's feelings. And so they do things they otherwise would have never done because they, they caved pressure. And um, because they're nice, they're just too nice. You know, I always tell parents, if you have a girl who's kind of a loud mouth and in people's face, don't worry about her so much because she's not afraid to be bold and stand up for herself. So, you know, absolutely young girls can be manipulated. And you're absolutely right. It's not just sort of the dirty old men out there. It's, it's kids in the girls' class. You know, it's the sixth grade boy sitting four rows away from the girl. And 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 they're and, and because they're behind a screen, they say and do things and post things they never would say to someone's face. And sadly, when you add components like body shaming and food and drugs and drinking and the old-fashioned peer pressure, it can really be a, a very dangerous, toxic mixture. We're talking today about how to raise a strong daughter in a toxic culture. With us is best-selling author Dr. Meg Meeker. When we come back. Dr. Meeker walks us through four of the biggest questions your daughter will ever have and how to answer them. That is our conversation continues here on this edition of Lifeline. All right, 516, let's uh, step aside, get you updated here on traffic. From the KFAX Traffic Center, here's the latest. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. We continue our visit today with best-selling author Dr. Meg Meeker. Her latest book, Raising a Strong Daughter in a Toxic Culture, 11 Steps to Keep Her Happy, Healthy, and Safe. Doctor, in all your years in working with girls and uh, raising children, you, um, you've, you've sort of narrowed down four key questions that girls will ask various times certainly throughout their 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 life and maybe even revisit some of those questions later on in life but i understand that ultimately helping a young woman understand the answers to these questions questions can be very foundational to helping them create that kind of environment that kind of foundation if you will um, upon which to build a strong life in a toxic culture what are those questions uh First of all, I, I think that uh, parents often overlook answering these questions because they seem so basic. And parents, you know, conscientious, hardworking parents jump to early on in life, I want my child to be successful so I will find the right school, the right athletics, the right music, the right home, et cetera, et cetera. But before they do that, it's really important to, to look at these existential questions, which even a five-year-old will think about, and answer them so that those children have roots and understand why they live and why they're doing that. The first question is, where did I come from? 
you know, a five-year-old, eight-year-old, 12-year-old will say, you know, why am I here? How did I get here? Am I an accident? Or, or was I created by God of the universe with a specific design and purpose and special talents and gifts? The second question is, um, what's my value? Am I worth something? Do I have significance? And again, you know, parents will look at a child and know, well, of course you have significance. You know, you're, you're my kid, and you're a great soccer player, and we love you. But that doesn't always satisfy kids of any age. They really need to know why they're alive. I see this in so many teenagers, you know, and, and kids who don't know where their significance and value comes from, girls in particular, that's exactly why they go onto social media, because even though it's a fake sense of I'm significant because I got a lot of likes from people, you know, watching me, it feels better than nothing. So, you know, where does my value come from? Every single parent needs to teach their kids that their value does not come from the stuff they do. It does not come from the friends they have. It comes from the fact that they are a special, unique person designed by God, loved and cherished by their parents. And particularly, I think, Dr. Maker, important because there are these conflicting messages, as we talked about in the previous segment, that suggest that the tie-in to worth and value is how skinny you are, how good-looking you are, how how good you look in a tight skirt, whatever the case might be, that's all based largely on on, uh, physical appeal or on what society sets as the standard. And so if a young girl looks in the mirror and doesn't feel as if she sort of, you know, makes the cut, is it any wonder that they're asking questions and allowing themselves to be taken advantage of the way they are in an effort to try to find that sense of worth and value? Exactly. That's where kids go. The pressure, it's insidious, it's out there. Like I said, every teenage girl says to me the number one problem she has is not feeling pretty enough and thin enough. And so, unfortunately, a lot of Uh, well-intentioned parents play into that because they want their kids to um, to perform well and be good kids and to sort of fit in with their peers and fit in with the the parents peers Um, and so it's really important that we, we we drive this into our girls and teach them no 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 you know this is the reason you're feeling pressure to be so skinny is because the people who sell these magazines with skinny women on them want you to buy them. They, they want your money. They don't care what about you. They want your money. And it's a very big problem. We have third graders, fourth grade girls who are on diets. And, um, you know, and it's very sad. And we wonder why depression, anxiety is on the, you know, uh, sharp rise in the United States. Um, but back to the question, the third question is, is there a, a moral set of standards? And, you know, Kids ask this because they need to know what the rules are in life. You know, often, and even now with their gender, we're saying, what do you want to be? You know, this is right, this is right, whatever you feel, whatever you want, whatever you think. And it makes kids crazy because they don't have the cognitive capacity to make good decisions. And even if when they can as adults, We know that in a society, if we all make up our own rules about what's good and right and what's bad and wrong, life doesn't go very well for anybody. But particularly for kids, they need to know, and this is interesting because intuitively, even young kids know what's right and wrong. If you watch an 18-month-old, 
you know, hit the dog over the head with a pan, immediately that child knows that was not a good thing to do. Something was wrong. So it's innate in us. And when we tell, we respond to that innate sense of right and wrong to a child and say, well, you know, you know, you can hit the dog if you want to. It's okay. They, they wonder what in the world is going on in life. And, you know, the fourth question is, where am I going? You know, where, where am I supposed to be when I'm 20 and 30 and 40? And ultimately, you know, where does, where does my life take me? What, is, what happens after all of this? So kids, as I said, even young kids are thinking on a much deeper level and not having questions answered. And we are keeping them living on a very superficial level on all the folks and all the stuff that they do. And they know it doesn't satisfy, and they know it doesn't work. So parents need to come in there and dive, take their kids on a little deeper dive and really answer these, these fundamental questions in the beginning of life and, and throughout life as the child grows. You talk in the book about the importance of mom as a mentor. Uh, how challenging does this become for the parent listening to our conversation right now, Dr. Meeker, who is a single parent? who was trying to do this without dad, who normally takes on that protector role? Well, you know, my, my answer to single moms, I, I work with a lot of single moms, is here the good news, bad news. Um, the good news is you're not, you can't be two parents, so just try to be a really good one. Uh, the, the flip side of that is that if there is no father involved in any way, shape, or form of your child's life, you can't be a man to your child. And even though our culture says, you know, mom, dad, you know, love, it doesn't matter, it, it does matter to a kid. And a kid will tell you, my mom is different from my dad. And if I don't have dad around or a male, male role model, something's missing. So for single moms to try to find a good man, uh, your brother, uh, an uncle, a coach, uh, a grandfather, who can at least be participate in the, in the, the girl's life, so that she can see what a good man acts like. She can see you, Mom, interact with a man. You know, how, how do you allow him to talk to you? How do you engage with him? And girls pick up so much on this. So, you know, single moms can raise wonderful daughters, but they need to say, you know, I can't do it all and be it all, and that's okay. I can still raise a really strong daughter. But I need to show her what good men look like, how they talk, how they think, and what they act like. The new book is called Raising a Strong Daughter in a Toxic Culture, 11 Steps to Help Keep Her Happy, Healthy, and Safe, written by doctor and best-selling author Dr. Meg Meeker. The book, by the way, I'll mention is just uh, just newly published by Regnery Press. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it online by going to Dr. Meeker's website, Meeker Parenting, M-E-E-K-E-R, MeekerParenting.com. Lots of other great resources on Dr. Meeker's website as well. Again, the book, Raising a Strong Daughter in a Toxic Culture by Dr. Meg Meeker. Dr. Meeker, thanks so much for the time and the insights. 531, let's get some insights on traffic for you right now as we head over to the KFAX Traffic Center for the latest.
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I've got to believe my producer had a bit of a strategy in booking these guests back to back as we've gone from some of the challenges faced in training up a young woman um, to be able to survive a toxic culture. And then we pivot next to what happens a bit later on in life and the challenges that are faced by women when they reach that midpoint of life. Evaluations begin to take place. The kids are all grown, maybe off to college, maybe have started families of their own. There's the evaluation of where things have gone over the last 35, 45 years, and then looking ahead, asking questions about what's facing you, the challenges of things between past regrets and the fear of the future. Well, a very special conference will be taking place here in the San Francisco Bay Area coming February 21 and through 23 at Mount Hermon. It's called the Wonder Years Gathering, and uh, we're pleased to have with us author Leslie Leland Fields, who coincidentally has written a book called The Wonder Years, 40 Women Over 40 on Aging, Faith, Beauty, and Strength. And Leslie, great to have you back on the show. Yes. Hi, Craig. It's wonderful to be with you again. And a Happy New Year to you. And, uh, you know, as we talk about this topic, it's interesting because, you know, we so much of, of society today focuses on youth and what it means to be youthful and strong and, and all that we can accomplish um, when we're young. And then reality sets in. And suddenly, for both men and women, we reach midlife, whether it be an event in life like a change of jobs, maybe sadly in some cases divorce or simply the common empty nest syndrome, and suddenly there's a reevaluation. And I think in particular there's a lot of pressure brought to bear on women because so much of our culture and our society and Hollywood and Madison Avenue is so focused on, on youth that when you wake up one day and look in the mirror and realize, hmm, old girl ain't what she used to be anymore, um, I guess for a lot of women that notion of starting having to, to, to look to the future and imagine what that's going to be when they don't have the energy that they used to, perhaps don't have the looks that they used to, that sort of midlife reevaluation can sometimes be very challenging, can't it? Yeah, for sure. And that and that's kind of the impetus that's behind this whole idea of the wonder years. And you know, the um you might recognize the the the, the phrase the wonder years. That it's from a TV show. Do you remember that I show? I do indeed. Yeah. Okay, so that was a show in the 80s and um it focused on a a guy uh, um a teenager who was just a young adolescent. And the idea is that you're, the wonder years are, you know, when you're a young teenager. And I am reclaiming that title and using it for midlife and, and beyond over 40. Because um, I think these truly are the wonder years. As we get um, older, and I'm, I'm just going to be forthright, I, um, I recently turned 62. I am 62 years young, and I really, in many ways, I feel like a teenager. In other ways, I don't. But here's the thing, is that I, every day truly is wondrous. And um, inside of every day and every year that the Lord gives us, first of all, it's a gift. And, and God intends us to to open, you know, this present that he gives us every morning and to find him in it and then to to proclaim, to pass on to others the, 
the beauty, the joy, and sometimes the hard things too. Because um, it's you know it's not all mountaintop stuff, right? And this is true, and I and I wonder too. Toward that end, is part of the challenge, and, and this is certainly universal, I think, for both men and women. But for the purpose of our conversation, focusing on the challenges that that women face, that it's not just perhaps fear, fear of the unknown. What's the future going to bring? What's going to happen to me health wise? Fear of aging, things of that sort. But also the radical change, and, and I, I pose that question, Leslie, because. Women get into a routine. Uh, you know, there, there's there's work and perhaps later marriage and child rearing, and you kind of have the, you know, taking care of the house, doing the shopping, getting the kids to school, uh, getting them to, have to uh, you know, soccer practice afterwards, and all that entails raising a family. And then suddenly, before you know it, you're 40 years old, the kids are out the door, and everything that was so familiar is no longer all that familiar, and... Then this guy shows up at 5.30 or 6 o'clock every night, and you knew who he was in the context of raising your kids, but now suddenly, with all of these radical changes in one's life, he seems to be a stranger, too. Yeah, it's a, it's a real wake-up moment, I think, when, when kids leave home and when and when we hit retirement, um, a lot of women are working, even working while raising their children, and um, and they... They may retire at 60 or 55 or 65 or whatever, whatever that time is. But suddenly, you know, if you're if, if you're still married, yeah, who is this guy? And he's thinking, who is this woman? And so it's a wake up moment in so many ways. The the whole notion of family has completely changed. So it really is a time. It's important that we step out of the uh, the routine of our lives and in the in the craziness and the busyness of our lives to step out and th- that's why we're we're creating this retreat to step out to come away and just really to seek God to ask him what's next lord what is next in my life and one one of my favorite moments as i think about the wonder years um as a, a, a few summers ago, I had uh, a writer and a poet named Lucy Shaw, who uh, people may recognize. She's probably one of the most well-known Christian writers and poets um, of our generation. She was she was 88 at the time, and she was one of my guest writers at at um, my island on my island in Alaska. She's so you know she's so brave. She came all the way out to the wilderness, but she's talking was talking about her life and kind of sharing her life story and at the end of her life story i mean the at, at the end of her whole story she she sat there and she said and and i just i just want to know what's next lord and she opened her hands up you know to the to the sky and she said lord what do you have for me next and she's 88 wow and I love that vision, and, I, and this is what the Wonder Years is. Isn't about. that refreshing? And and by the yes. way, to put this in context, that she's not thinking about yeah. you know, Lord Jesus, come quickly or take me home. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, to rather say, that. hey, you know, I, I'm 88, I still got my wits and, yeah. and and health as long as it tarry about me. So what's next? What's next? Yes, yes. And so that's you know maybe that's part of our motto. You know, for the Wonder Years is Lord, what's next? And. So we are bringing speakers in from all over um, to help us ask that question and help us together to begin to respond. How does the Lord want us to serve Him in this next chapter of our lives, where there, where we, in some ways we have a lot more freedom? 
Um, maybe we're not working anymore, and our children are raised, and we've, we've got this time, um, this time to commit. And what new thing does God want us to do now with not only the time that we have, but we also have a whole lifetime of experience behind us. Isn't that the truth? I mean, I, I, yeah. I only wish that I knew today, you know, <laughs> or knew, knew 30 years ago, rather, what I know today. But to be able to sort of compile the wisdom, the knowledge, the experience, the patience, and all that goes with living life. And, and, and maybe it's it's a calling to sort of draw on our past, not past regrets, but but on our past sense of wonder and excitement and enthusiasm and say, wait a minute, I've got a gift today that 20 or 30 years ago I didn't have, and that's called knowledge and wisdom and experience. And so rather than looking at the future with fear to try and recapture that sense of wonder, as you're suggesting, and say, Lord, what's next? Yeah, 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 that's that's um, that's what it's about, and and so it is exciting, and I think we can always have a sense of excitement and anticipation for for what's next, and and for what God is going to reveal of Himself, for the ways that He's going to equip us, and the adventures He's going to take us on. Because we are not done as long as we have life and breath. Um, God is, and God promises to um, you know He He says, ask, seek, knock. He invites us to pursue Him, and and when we do, He He always answers. So um, I don't care how old you are, if you're 85 or you're 62 or you're 45, we're gathering together to ask, seek, and knock on God's door to ask Him, Lord, what's next? How can you use us? Uh, this is going to be a, a wonderful multi-day event. Again, it's taking place February the 21st through the 23rd at Mount Hermon. It's called the Wonder Years Gathering. And Leslie, if folks want to get more information and details about registration, uh, where can they go? Yeah, so there's a website called the Wonder Years Gathering. So wonderyearsgathering.com and you can register there. And we've got a special running right now, a New Year's special. So it's $100 off. The registration is all price is already very reasonable and a hundred dollars off. It's a steal. And there's one more thing we're offering would really like to attract more women leaders in, in the church. So we're offering a hundred and fifty dollars off um, for anyone who who is a leader, whether um, you're a, a, a women's ministry leader or a Bible study leader, anything um, anything of that nature, we're we're offering one hundred and fifty dollars off, which makes the conference just it's actually below cost for us. But we love you, women leaders, and we and we just love to see you there. Life-changing experience, no doubt. The Wonder Years Gathering, again, taking place at Mount Hermon, February the 21st through the 23rd. Details and registration on the web at wonderyearsgathering.com. That's wonderyearsgathering.com. And our thanks to Leslie Leland Fields, best-selling author. Her latest book, by the way, The Wonder Years, 40 Women Over 40 on Aging, Faith, Beauty, and Strength, newly published by Kriegel Publications. TheWonderYearsGathering.com. 5.46 on the clock. Let's uh, step aside here and get you an update on some traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. And uh, as we um, turn a corner here, we're going to go back in time. You say, what? How are you going to do that? Well, 
You know that, of course, annually we talk to you leading into the days prior to Christmas about Bethlehem A.D., At least you think that we're either stuck in a time warp or a little too early. We've actually invited the creative director of Bethlehem AD, Paula Dresden, to uh, to join us on the phone. I understand that it was uh, quite the event this year in Redwood City. And um, Paula, I'm curious what happened. Oh, so many miracles happened that you'd have to be there to see it. Um, we had a lot of challenges this year that we normally don't have, but the Lord saw us through them all, so we were very grateful for that. One of them was um, the weather. The, the weather predictions were so bad that I couldn't even look at the forecast. And um, But in the end, we had balmy, calm, clear weather all nights of the performances, and so it was, it was really beautiful. Then, um, then we had another situation where... Um, we had we, we we lost our shuttle van uh, connection, and we promised the city of Redwood City to have shuttle vans available for the public. So we were kind of concerned, and everything seemed so very expensive. But um, my husband found a gentleman uh, at San Carlos Airport who offered to give us his vans at a very low price and drive them himself with his friends. And uh, so that was awesome. They were so they were so sweet. And one of the van drivers gave us this incredible testimony that we wouldn't have known had he not been driving a van. Apparently, um, the year before uh, Beth, this, this Bethlehem, so last year's Bethlehem, a friend of his who is a Muslim was a Muslim came to Bethlehem A.D. and was instantly saved at the manger while watching why the Holy Spirit fell on him there. So we were really encouraged by that, and um, it makes us, makes gives me strength to carry on. <laughs> well, I know certainly uh, in, in talking to you over the weeks leading up to um, the event, there were a number of clarion calls that went out for support and uh, the need for additional uh, hands to pull this off. This is a major undertaking, and, and anybody that has attended um, certainly has awed, been awestruck by it all and, and maybe not quite fully aware that for every one person you see in front of the scenes, there's probably 10 or 15 behind the scenes that kind of all pull. It's the glue that kind of pulls all this together, isn't it? Yes, it takes. It's a many hands on deck kind of situation. And you know, what's beautiful about it is that when you work shoulder to shoulder with a fellow Christians, you really get to know them in, a, in such a sweet way. And so that's part of the perks of actually being a volunteer in a situation like this is that uh, you find the depth of friendships that you may not have otherwise discovered. So that's been an, one of the best parts of Bethlehem for me is getting to know people finding uh, new friends and such like that. But, you know, as part of Bethlehem, we've discovered, uh, when I first started doing this, I thought to myself 27 years ago, who needs another nativity scene? I couldn't imagine needing, you know, anyone wanting to see a nativity. But as it turned out, we've discovered that many people don't even know the story. So um, it's our privilege to present it, and we uh, we try to give the historical context with, you know, where Jesus was born, that he was Jewish, and that he was born in a, in a context where there was a, a, the Roman government, you know, being very cruel to them, and um, that they needed a redeemer, they needed a savior. So we uh, show that we show this story through 
and we give a little booklet to everyone leading the um, the, the performance. And uh, it, through the pictures that we've taken at Bethlehem over the years, we tell the story of the nativity, and we hope that people look at that during the during the year and are encouraged in their hearts to um, think that the, about the Lord being their their Messiah. Well, certainly a very special event, and as we we say annually, uh, this really is sort of the the tradition that many families have to officially start the mark of their Christmas celebrations. And delighted to hear that uh, the Lord was faithful in in uh, bringing all the details together and some wonderful miracles that happened along the way. Now, a little bit of a report for you on Bethlehem A.D. from Creative Director. Paula Dresden. Paula, always good to visit with you, and uh, we'll be talking to you, no doubt, in about uh, 11 months, <laughs> if, well, not, if so. not sooner, you know, if not sooner. <laughs> yes, yes. Take care and now. You know what, Greg? What's we'd that? Love to have you co- well, we'd love to have you come and be a wise man next year, maybe. Yeah, one of the wise guys, I, you know, I probably yeah. fit that role real good. <laughs> all right, Paula, thanks again for uh, being with us tonight. Appreciate all your hard work. BethlehemAD.com, check it out. All right, we're here at 6 o'clock. means it's time to get you updated on some traffic first. We'll do so at the KFAX Traffic Center.